As you can look on the screen here, and I hope you all can see this, this is a picture of the tabernacle in the outer courts here, okay? And for you, if you're on the left and right and you're looking here, you know, you're able to see it, and I'll use my cursor kind of to show you this. You know, when you look at this and the idea of the tabernacle, this was a, a movable tent of meeting. This is the place that God said that he would dwell among them, specifically to Israel, to the people of the Israelites, to, to what, to fellowship with them, to communicate with them. And the tabernacle, and, and you can see its courtyard, a little slightly smaller than a football field, really, when you look at it, was, a, was a constructed according to the pattern that God had set when he met with Moses, right? God had laid that out, and he had given it so that sinful people, you and I, the Israelites at the time, could approach the living God, and that there would be remission of sin in some capacity. Now, certainly not the same as what we understand through Jesus Christ today, right? We have a complete removal of sin, not a covering of sin. What you see in the Old Testament as we go through and we exegete this in, in the Hebrew, it's almost always, even at the bronze altar or the altar sacrifice, it's been called either one right here, it's one of the first things you see as you enter in. Before you could even make your way to the tabernacle, there was a sacrifice that had to be made. And then before that, you had to go into the, the laver, the bronze and laver. There was a, pl a place where the, the Levites would go and they would get cleansed there. They would wash and be sanctified. And then after that, they would then make their way. Only the priests would make their way into the holy place and then actually into the holy of holies. And I'll bring up different images as we go through that. But it was significant. God was showing us something. Much like heaven, no one can enter heaven through the gate without the sacrifice that was paid. And that sacrifice you and I know is Jesus Christ. It wasn't just something that, that, you know, was tomorrow he's back on the cross. No, it removed our sin, past, present, and future. And it's significant as we read chapter 26, we're going to see that, that that was God's desire for communication, for fellowship. And he gave us this pattern of it. And like I said, we'll, we'll go through and, and look at it. Now, this is approximately somewhere around 1440, if you're taking notes, 1440 BC and 15, 1450 BC, okay? And this is the place that God is going to meet with his people for 400 years before we see, what? Solomon's temple. And I'll talk a little bit about Solomon's temple as we look at the design because some, obviously the courtyard and the area is gonna change, but the, the Holy of Holies is gonna change, but it's still gonna remain a cube. And that's significant. And we get into Revelations and we look at heaven, the new heavens and new earth, that's a cube as well. You see, God is pointing for us, students of the Bible, he's showing us, he was showing the Israelites. He was preparing them. That when Messiah would come, they would recognize and know why. That for 400 years, as they would enter in, as they would be standing off in the, the curtain enclosure here, they would come in, they knew they needed that that atonement, that sacrifice. And in Yom Kippur, in the, the year average, they would go in there every year and the high priest would, would lay that, well, first he would take the blood and he would sprinkle the blood on the altar and then he would make his way in, cleanse himself, go into the Holy of Holies like that. And we're gonna go into intimate detail about what's in here. I, I can't wait to share this with you because I, I believe this is the exact picture of heaven, of what God had given Moses so that we would understand it, a glimpse, a glimpse of what we're going to see when we, when we, be, when, we, when we arrive in heaven like that. And the other thing that's really cool as we go through it, and I'll show a picture or illustration of this too, is that we're gonna see that there's these 12 tribes that will be aligned before, uh, you know, around this entire court. 
And it's significant the way that God placed those 12 tribes. Specifically, there's going to be three tribes right here. And the middle tribe, you know what tribe that is? Between Ishkar and, and um, Zebulun? Do you, know what, do you know what tribe that was? Judah. And do you know why it was significant that Judah was in the center between as he would walk into the gate? Because our high priest of the order of Melchizedek, higher than any, what, Aaronite or Levitical priesthood, our high priest, as Hebrews tells us, was Jesus Christ. And he was from the tribe of Judah. And nobody could enter through without coming through Christ first. He was giving them the, the illustration and picture of it a thousand years ago before he even physically manifested and walked the, walked the earth that way. And it's interesting if you, you know, I'll show the picture of what it would look like, but just, just so everybody can see this here. You can go through, and I'll, I'll just sort of, in my notes here, if, you, if you'll bear with me. You know, the priest would enter through the east and walk west, coming this way, okay? And the three tribes of Israel were on the east. To the north was Ishakar, right? And then to the south was Zebulun. In the middle, we just talked about, you know, the tribe of Judah. And on the west side of the tabernacle was Ephraim. To the north was Benjamin. To the south, in the middle of those two tribes was Manasseh. And then on the north side of the tabernacle was Naphtali to the west, Dan to the east. In the middle of those two tribes were Asher. And on the south side of the tabernacle was Gad to the west and Dan to the east. And in the middle of these two tribes, I just said already, was Asher. And why that's important, and pardon me for repeating myself, is because you're going to see as God aligns this, each one of these tribes, we're going to start to see the face of a line. We're going to go through that. as It's going to build out from this. But we have to understand that. So as I've already sort of mentioned and began with, what is the whole point? You know, why, why do we see this as we look at the tabernacle here? You know, what, what, what was it about? And again, it was worship towards God, fellowship with God. You know, if we look, and, and maybe this is a better illustration to show it here, as we look at this altar for the sacrifice, right? It was Jesus Christ, ultimately, pointing to Jesus, Where's our dwelling place? Where does God dwell now? Does he dwell in a building? He dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 6.19. And then what about that, that laver of brass right there? Laver of brass where they would cleanse themselves and purify themselves, right? Through the confession and repentance. After you're saved, do you stop confessing? Do you stop repenting for sin? No, because we continue in sin, don't we? You see, isn't it awesome that God is showing us that, that we only need Jesus Christ as our mediator. We don't go, need to go to a man to confess our, our sins. It's never anywhere in scripture, scripture that way. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us we have one mediator in the man Christ Jesus. But we still must cleanse ourselves. We must come to a place where we repent and cleanse and make sure we're right with God. And then what about as we go into the Holy of Holies? You know, if we look at that, and I'll kind of blow up a, a, an illustration for that here. As we make our way into the Holy of Holies here, you know, as you would go in on the left-hand side would be the five-foot lampstand. We talked a little bit on the, about that last week. On the right would be the table of showbread. It's 45 foot long, 15 foot wide, 15 foot high, the tabernacle. And as you would go in, you would first walk in, it would be 30 feet before you would get to the Holy of Holies. You'd be in the holy place and you'd have to walk 30 feet more to get into the Holy of Holies that way. But before that, on your left, you had this lampstand. There was no other light but that lampstand. And when you got into Holy of Holies, there was no additional light source other than God himself. 
that radiated. Where else do we read that in scripture? In the book of Revelation. Where will be our light? We won't have a sun or moon anymore. Who will be the light? Jesus. Do you, do, do you see? He was pointing. He was, he was, he was giving it to us all. As we look at the lampstand, what's it signify? Or what's it for us today in, in Christ? It's, it's the Holy Spirit, God's presence among us. And we'll see more of that when we get to Exodus chapter 40, looking at their, verses 34 through 38. And the table of showbread. What was on that table? Bread. Bread that they would take and the Levitical tribe would eat every week and by the Shabbat they would replace it once a week. It was the bread of life. It was the word of God. It was what sustained them. It was what sustained them. And then how about the altar of incense? Right here, the altar of incense there. The altar of incense was significant because it has to do with prayer, communication, right? Intercession. As believers, we're part of that priesthood. First Peter chapter 2, verses 5 tells us that. And then we see the veil and the most holy, holy, and then we see that with the cherubim and the different, we're gonna talk a little bit about that here. Entrance, entering God's presence boldly, but how could we enter it? But only through Jesus Christ, because we couldn't even enter the holy place if there hadn't been sacrifice made. And then we'll look at next week in chapter 28, the priestly garments which speak to the service to God alone, right? And it just, you know, Hebrews chapter 10, if you, you can turn in your Bibles and look there, verses 19 through 25, it clearly speaks of how it's a pattern of worship. Let's, let's turn there for a moment, actually. Let's, let's go there. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, Looking at verses 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, by what? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he consecrated. Do you see that? A new and living way. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by Jesus Christ, his shed blood, that he did for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, sanctified that way. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day. What day? The return of Christ. You see the day. It also speaks to the day of days, the last day. He said, we're to gather. Don't forsake the assembling of the brethren. We're to gather together. This is what we do on Wednesday and Sunday. We gather together and we, we encourage one another. We grow, we study. You can turn back to chapter six. So I, I know it was a, a quite long introduction but it was, I think, hopefully you'll find it to be beneficial as we now read through this because I know as many times as I've gone, you know, 
taught this before and I go through this, if I don't do an introduction like that, there's so many questions <laughs> that end up coming up that um, it can be a little bit difficult. So I thought let's start with the introduction, let's understand God's plan of worship for that, and then we'll back into understanding what he's shown us through this. And I'll also back up to that uh, first illustration as, I start, as we start reading. So, chapter 26 of your Bible, in your Bibles there of Exodus. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and a blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. You shall weave them. Okay, so what are we talking about first? Well, maybe it's best if I bring this picture up actually to show you. Now, this picture, this illustration is better. Can you see right here what we're actually talking about is this, okay? We're actually talking about the curtains that are gonna go over the tabernacle. And what you're gonna see is this first curtain that's purple and made and it's got chairman is actually gonna be a covering and it's gonna be 18 inches or a cubit shy of touching the ground. We're gonna read that momentarily. And that's the first layer. There's gonna be basically four layers of this. Now, when we get done with this and we look at it from the outside, it's gonna be very earthly, earthy, excuse me, like kind of, you know, brownish, earthy, you know, kind of, you know, you'd look at it and you wouldn't think much of it. But when we walk in or when you walk into this, how marvelous and magnificent, covered with gold, because all the boards are plated with gold and the shimmering of the light of the candlestick, the lampstand like that. Can you imagine how beautiful that's going to be? So just, just go there with me as we're reading this. So he talks about these 10 curtains of woven linen, woven linen, excuse me, blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of Sherem. You shall weave them. This is going to end up being 42 feet in length, six feet wide, okay? The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each cubit, or each curtain, four cubits. You do the math on that, you get the six foot wide and the 42 foot length. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurement. So how many curtains do we have again? Ten. Ten curtains. Remember, we just read that in, in verse one. It says, moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine linen, right? And the length of each curtain. So we're going to have 42 feet. What is this talking about? It's talking about how it's going to lay over like this. Do you see that? That's how the curtain's going to go. As we go through this, it'll continue to make more sense. And then he talks about how they're going to make two sets of them because they're going to have 10, so they're going to take five and they're going to take these rings and they're going to clasp and think of it this way. You're going to have a, cla a ring like this on one end and one side of this curtain that's six feet wide, 42 feet long, and then you're going to have it all the way down and then the opposite side of that same curtain, they're going to be clasps. What do you think they're going to do with the clasps? The next piece of the, the curtain that you make with the rings, what are they going to do? Connect the ring to the clasp, or excuse me, the clasp to the ring like that. And they're going to do this all the way across, you're going to end up with 60 plus feet. When we add it up, we'll go through it. It's going to end up being 60 foot wide total when you go through it. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll go through it. So it says, the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and width of each curtain four cubits and every one of the curtains shall have the same measurement. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. Okay, talking about like a set or a bunch that way. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain, where you can attach it, on the, on the selvage of one set, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain on the second set. Are you with me so far? 
Okay. 50 loops you shall make in the one curtain and 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set that the loops may be classed to one another. Are you catching all that, right? You, you see why I'm explaining it to you as we're going through this because it, yeah. So <laughs> what it's saying is, is as these would be connected, picture a certain piece, you've got a clasp, another piece, you've got a clasp, you've got another piece of clasp, all the way until you make your way over and then you also have them connecting this way. Okay, and this is just the first layer. This is just the first, well, by the way, that you won't see. That you won't see from the outside because there'll be other layers put on top of it. Just think about the, the detail God went, you know, goes through in his design and the beauty of this. And as we read in verse six, and you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle, one covering over the whole thing. You shall also make curtains. Now we're going on to the second layer, right? So if we look at the second layer here, if I kind of go back out, I'll zoom out again. And I got to figure out how to zoom out. And I'm going to do that. All right. So we had the outer covering, right? Now, well, this is the one describing the inner covering, the one we just read. Now we're going to make our way here, here, all the way out. We're kind of going to go that way, okay? Just so you understand in the picture if I show it to you. I'm going to move this over so maybe you can see this portion right here. So it's a little blown up for you. So you can see as we make our way out, okay? You shall also make curtains of goat's hair. Now, if you know goat's hair, that's black and coarse. It's a very coarse material, okay? Think of um, sometimes when they would um, fast or they were making supplication, many times they would make outfits out of goat's hair to put it on. To some, in some ways, it's sort of like an asceticism to be uncomfortable and try to, you know, show their worthiness towards the Lord like that. God's never you know, necessarily said we have to do that. But, but you get the point here is that that's the kind of material, almost like a burlap, it, that's what it looks like. It's almost like a burlap like that. So it says, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits and the 11 curtains shall have all the same measurements. So you've got, again, the 45 foot and you've got a six foot wide, right? And you, well, let me step back. Remember, how long was the other one? The first one, it was 42, so do you see the difference? It's 18 inches. Why is that important? Because as I mentioned, the first one's going to hang down 18 inches from the ground. But then as we see the goat's hair, it's going to hang all the way down right to the ground on the sides. Okay? That's what that's showing you. Whereas the curtain of fine linen is 18 inches on either side off the ground that way. Okay? And you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is the outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain in the second set. And you shall make 50, now notice with me, bronze clasps. What does bronze typically mean in scripture when we see it as a mineral material? Judgment judgment and we're going to see the bronze altar too and why that it was made of bronze too it's an altar of judgment right for the judging of the sin and put the class into loops and a coupled and couple the tent together that it may be one verse 12 the remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back so we're talking about here over the back this way 
going to be over this side, okay? And then we're going to see there's a separate curtain that's going to come over the front. All right, but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment here as we're reading along. Okay. And a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle. That's how we know it hangs over further than the fine linen, okay? On this side and on that side to cover it. You shall also make a covering. Now we're going to go to the next layer, a covering of ram skin, right? That's here, dyed red, okay? That's the next covering. And again, that's going to have a similar measurement to the covering before. It's going to hang all the way down to the ground that way. You shall make a covering of ram skins, dyed red for the tent, and a covering of badger skins above it. And again, we see that here. That's going to be the outer layer. So again, if you're looking at this, it's got four layers of covering that's covering this this tabernacle like this, and yet it's going to be the last one is, you know, badger skin. Not sure exactly what that looks like, but it would be an earthy tone of nothing else. And so nothing very, you know, it would be kind of comely. I mean, nothing very, uh, you know, appealing in appearance that way. And it's interesting. What did the prophet say or what was it prophesied about Jesus Christ that he would come and what? People would look on him and say that he was comely that their way. There would be nothing attractive about him on the outside, but on the inside, how beautiful he was, because his heart and his presence, he's God. And isn't that what we're going to see here in this holy place in the holiest of holies? On the outside, it, it appears nothing significant, nothing special that way. Ordinary, plain, if I could even say it. But as you make your way inside, that's where the beauty is. That's where the, the, you know, the miraculous and the marvelous is of it all, the wonder, if I could say it that way. And then for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards. So now we're going to talk about these vertical upright boards. Do you see these in here? And maybe I have a better picture of this. Hold on. Better illustration for you. Actually, you know what? In Logos, I have a, a, an illustration here. I'll blow this up a little bit for you. And if I go here, I can specifically go and talk about different things. So we just talked about, again, you know, I can look at the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy is the Holy, the altar of incense, the lampstand. We can see here the outer veil, the bronze altar. So as I go through this, we'll see if we can't highlight some of this here. But I guess it doesn't do a, a, any, any justice here on this picture. I'm this is the one I'm looking for. Are you able to see the wood? This is going to be 15 foot tall, 27 inches wide. Connecting, it's going to go the full length, 45 feet like that, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet high, as we just mentioned. Each one of these is going to be covered with gold. Gold. So just, just try to get this in your mind's eye. Outside, you're looking at something. First of all, the outside curtain, remember the court? It's about seven and a half feet high. We'll go back at that when we get to the outer court, and we'll look at that. That, that ring fence, if I could say, it looked like this. It's about seven foot, seven and a half foot high. It's high enough that not everybody can see in, but not high enough that you couldn't see the tabernacle. So on the outside, again, you're looking at it and you're not thinking anything all that extraordinary. But then when you get inside and you walk in, can you imagine the veil is open? Some of the light comes in maybe from the outside, but then you have this lampstand and then the gold and all the shimmering Imagine how that light would beam and pop off the gold. And I mean, you probably would stand there in awe of just how gorgeous and miraculous and just, you know, moving it is. 
and 30 feet of that until finally you make your way into the Holy of Holies. And if you were able to do that, if you were the high priest and it was that one time a year, the Day of Atonement, and you made your way in there, and that was pitch black, but it still had all the gold. And then the light of God shined in there because the God met with him on that mercy seat, that high priest, where he made the atonement for all his people, the people, for the whole year. And just imagine how brilliant, because now you have the Ark of the Covenant, and you have the cherubim that are standing there, prostrated, you know, in a form of worship before them, before God. It's a picture of the throne room of heaven. It's a beautiful picture of that, isn't it? Of, the, of just the magnificence. It's not ordinary at all. But from the outside, if you were to look on, you'd, what's so significant about I imagine many people, when Jesus Christ was physically manifested, walking the earth, said, that's the Son of God? Hmm. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of the board, and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. This is a 15-foot by 27-inch wide board. Now, you carpenters out there, you, you folks that like to work with your hands, two tenons shall be in each board for binding one to another. So this is how they sistered or connected the lumber together. They used tenons that way. And the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. Now, just think about how heavy one of these boards would be. 15 feet high, 27 inches long, covered with gold. Okay? Has, the board has to be, stability-wise, my estimation, it has to be an inch to an inch and a half thick. Just carrying the weight and the load of those curtains and everything else that's on that, an inch, inch and a half thick without buckling that way. That's why the Gershomites, I think, you know, they're the ones that were, if I'm not mistaken, go back and check. I believe they're the ones that were actually in charge of carrying the boards. You had a whole tribe dedicated just to carrying these boards for the tabernacle. So it says, and you shall make the boards from the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side. You shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under each board for its tenons, two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards, and there 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board. For the far side of the tabernacle, the westward, you shall make six boards, and you shall also make the two boards, the two back corners of the tabernacle. Why is that important? Because when you add the two corners, that's what gives you the 15 feet. Do the 27 inches, multiply it out times 20, you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. You need those two boards to get you to the, the 15 they shall be coupled together at the bottom and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. So picture a ring. Well, you can see it. Picture these rings like this. And then what they're going to do is they're going to have these acacia wood, these wood poles made. And they're going to be plated with gold too, covered in gold. And they're going to be inserted along to hold this whole thing together. So if you had wood, think of studs lined up like that all the way across, and you wanted to kind of keep them all in, in, in line like that, you would take a board with the rings, the silver rings that are attached like that, all the way across, you slide one pole in, and it would lock all that in. That's, that's, what, that's what it's telling us here. And 
and I'm finding my place again. <laughs> Verse 25. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each board, and you shall make the bars, that's what we just talked about, of acacia wood, five for the boards on the side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold. Make their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. So it's all gold. It's all going to shimmer off the light of the Holy Spirit, that candlestick, that lampstand. Okay? And it really should be called a lampstand. They didn't have candlesticks back then. So I, I shouldn't be using that term. It's, it was a lampstand. It was, it's the menorah, right? Six and, and one in the middle, three on each side with the almond um, blossoms like that. We read about that last week. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. You see that? For, for 40 days and 40 nights, this is what Moses was receiving, not just the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, but can you imagine the detail that he had to write all of this down? Some of you at this point are like, we're talking about boards. I'm bored, right? You're, you're, you're looking at this going, what's going but I mean, man, I love to study this. You, could, you can tell I'm, I'm excited. I literally, if I didn't have this, I'd be drawing it out. Because I know that it's a, it's a pattern that God has showed to represent a heavenly picture. And I want to understand as much about this as I can because that's my home. My citizenship's heavenly. That's where I'm going. I'm going to the new heaven, new earth, right? You're going to go there. We're going to go to heaven eventually, right? When we, when, we, when we leave this, when our time here on earth is done. Or if he raptures us tonight. Lord willing. <laughs> you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen. It shall be woven of an artistic, artistic design of cherubim. Verse 32, you shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon the four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the class then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. Where's this veil that we're talking about? It's got a picture of the cherubim on it. See it right here? It's the veil of the Holy of Holies. And behind it will be the ark of the covenant, which is what the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the, two, gonna, the tablets are going to be put in there, right? We also know what's going to end up in there. Manna is a God's reminder that he is our provider. Right? And what's the other thing? Whose rod? Aaron's rod that what? Blossomed, right? Or bloomed that way. Yeah. All to remind of God's sovereignty, God's care and provision. He says, and you shall hang the veil from the class. There you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy place. So this is the holy place, this 30 feet. Again, total of 45 feet. This is the 15 feet. It's a perfect cube. 15 by 15 by 15. It's a perfect cube. Now, when we get to Solomon's temple, several hundred years from now, as we continue reading, right? 900 area. Obviously, David's design, but God gave it to, to Solomon to build because he didn't have blood on his hands the way David did at that point. It's going to be, the Holy of Holies is going to be erected, but it's going to be made larger. And it's a perfect cube again. Anybody remember the dimensions? It's 30 by 30 by 30. And then we talked about Revelation, 
the new heavens and the new earth, right? Hold your finger here. Turn, turn into Revelation. Turn to the book of Revelation for me. Y'all have to remind me what verse I was on when I get back there. Chapter 21, I believe. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, just saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Did you ever think about that? Some people say, well, we're going to end up ultimately in heaven. That's our final abode. Where's our real final abode, actually? I mean, if we want to be doctrinally correct, where is it? Here, with the new heavens and earth that will come here. But first, we'll go up there, white throne judgment. We'll come, we get to ride the horse back with Jesus, right? We're coming back, and then what? And then we ultimately will, will reign with him and minister to him, with him for a thousand years, in which time then we'll have the great white, well, after that, there'll be one last uprising. Why is there one last uprising like that way? Because Satan's released, but part of what he's doing is, remember, during that earthly reign for a thousand years, God is sovereign, he's reigning like that, but it's the test, the Bible, you remember from the book of Revelation, we were in it, if you don't remember, please go up to the website and you know, download the, the teachings, but it's the test of believers that were born during that time. And where's their heart? Is their heart to follow after Christ or is their heart to go after evil? And so that's why he's released. And one last time, he tries to lead. Remember, he tries to deceive those that are on the earth that way. He's not talking about us. You know, we were in the mezzanines. We came back with him. We're the bride of Christ. We were already raptured out. He's talking about those that were born during that millennial reign, those nations that will try to rise up with that last time. And then we go into the great white throne judgment in chapter 20, right? And that's where we see you know, the final judgment there and then the casting into the, the lake of fire like that, the dead who are judged. And then we're in where we are now, where it says all things are made new. It says, John saw this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the loud voice of her saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. How does God even refer to it? The tabernacle of God. I, I believe this is a picture I believe this is a picture in heaven of what God was showing Moses on that mountain. That one day we will see something very similar to this. Now granted, he doesn't have to be in the mercy seat that way anymore with the Ark of the Covenant because we will be there and he will dwell with us that way. But everything that this was pointing to, God the Father in the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, Jesus Christ, our bread of life, the lampstand, the, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, Everything he's showing us in this. And I love this part. He says, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. That's you and I. If you're born a believer, born again believer in Jesus Christ, hey, he's talking to you right now. It's a promise. He said what? He says he's gonna dwell with them. That's you, me. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. 
And he said, write these things, for these words are faithful and true, or true and faithful. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You know, and as we, we could continue to read on, but, we, you know, it tells us in Revelation, I can't remember exactly where it's at, but it tells us that it's going to be 1,500. I think it's 1,500 miles or 1,500, I can't remember the exact, you be Bereans, go look it up, you can let me know in a minute. 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500, it's a perfect cube. Verse 16 in chapter 21, right? So look look there, it's, it says it again, I'll turn back there with you. He says, the city is laid out as a square, its length is as, as its breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. And its length, breadth, and height are equal. That's a cube. So what is that? 1,500 miles squared. Hey, how about that? That's our new dwelling place. Is it, you got enough room? 1,500 miles. It's a cube. I mean, he's speaking in, in different dimensions, mathematically. I mean, I, I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, remember we were studying the walls and the different colors and, and just how beautiful it's going to be? Again, with the light shimmering and radiating out of Jesus Christ, it's going to bounce off and the colors like that. Wouldn't that be what they would see when they would walk into the Holy of Holies with the gold and the shimmering of the light bouncing off like that? It's a beautiful picture. It's the closest thing we could possibly get to understanding what it's going to be like to dwell in heaven with God. And how many men and women, they skip over these chapters, they skip over these passages, and God says, no, I want to give you this. I want this to to bless you. This is going to be your home. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to dwell with you. I want you to see all of this. I, I love it. That's why some of you, like I said, we got to the board. You might get bored, but... But for me, those that are spiritual in here with me, you love this stuff. I love this stuff. Because it, it, it shows me what heaven's going to be, what my Lord's going to be, like, where I'm going to dwell. I mean, don't you want to know what it's going to be like? Turn back to Exodus chapter 26 as I find my verse. <laughs> I think I'm on 33. Because I just finished 33. Actually, let's go to 34. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. So remember the ark of the, the co- you know, he had the ark of the covenant right there. And now he says, take this, the mercy seat, which was the top. That's where the two cherubim, that was one piece of gold that was crafted that way. Solid gold like that. And he says, now you're going to put that top. And that mercy seat between the two cherubim is where the presence of God was going to meet. And that blurry picture would show you it right there if, you, if it wasn't so blurry. But that's it. And the priest once a year, just once a year, would get to go into to the, the Holy of Holies like that. And, and you know the tradition, you know, it, it came from the Terragum that way. It's not in the Bible. but it comes, You know, they would tie the, the string on the leg of the, the priest that way, the high priest that would walk in there. And as we go through the priestly garments, we're going to see that, that, that they had the little, the little like bells and that they, as long as you heard the bells going, you know the guy's not dropping dead, right? You know he's okay. You know, you hear the little bells, you know, Tinkerbell in there. You know, he's doing okay. Then all of a sudden, the bells stop. Hey, nobody wanted to go in there. I mean, if you, you, you die. You couldn't walk in there. You die. It's not like you can go get Fred. Fred's dead, right? Jimmy's gone. So what do you do? They tied a, they tied a string right? And they'd put it on him and then they'd pull him out. Maybe he died during his priestly duties, you know, but they, but they had to know. 
And, and I was sharing with Tammy earlier today. We were talking about this. I says, you know, isn't it interesting? You go back to Roman law and tradition. And when they would crucify, a lot of times, you know, Jesus Christ was crucified. They actually drove nails into his hands and his feet that way. Not, that, that wasn't the way crucifixion was done for everyone, you know. Well, a lot of times they would do is they would tie a string on the, the foot of the, the prisoner, the person that was put up there. And what they would do is they would tie their hands onto the posts on the side. And they would tie their legs down like that. And they would tie the one leg. And what they would do is the Roman soldier would come up and he would pull it out. And it would yank the feet out. And the person would fall and it would stretch them and it would almost, it would suffocate them. It would cause them to have that shock because he couldn't get back up to breathe. There's more than we, I believe, understand about the significance of everything that happened when Christ physically was manifested on this earth. There's more than I think we understand even about the tabernacle, even though God gave us such great, I mean, the detail we get in this pattern is unlike anything in the entire Bible. I mean, really, when we get to Ezekiel's temple, we get a measuring rod, we get, but the detail you find in these chapters right here in Exodus, bar none, bar none, all of scripture, this is the most detailed accounts we get of these things. And he says, you shall set a table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south and you shall put the table on the north side, describing this right here, what you see. The lampstand and the table of showbread. We read about in Exodus chapter 25. And you shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle. That's what we're talking about here. Of woven blue, purple, and scarlet thread in a fine, with woven fine linen made by a weaver. And you shall make for a sc- the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold. And you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. I mean, just look at this beautiful detail. Again, it's all pointing to his son. It's all pointing to the glory of his son. Chapter 27 now. Now we're going to make our way back further outside of the court, okay? So we're going to come out here. And we're going to make our way out here. And we're going to look at the, uh, the altar of sacrifice here, okay? We'll see how they designed that. That's the pattern that God had given them. The dimensions of this are quite interesting. Seven foot, six inches, seven foot, six inches by four foot, six inches. The actual pattern, the way that we make it, we're going to read about it. It was perfect like that, right? Almost a, a square, you would say. And then the height. And then what they did is they ho- God told them to hollow out the middle of it. And they put a grid down. So what would happen is it's kind of like a fire pit. It's really exactly what it is, like this altar. Because you had the seven foot, six inches and seven foot, six inches, quite big, and then you had this grid and they could take the animal and put the animal in there. And the animal would fall down and be able to, to, to be burned up like that, right? So it says, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. It's a square. The altar shall be a square and its height shall be three cubits. So again, seven foot, six inches, seven foot, six inches, and four foot, six inches. You shall make its horns on its four corners and its horn shall be one piece with it. What that's saying is, is as they form this, it's not as though they can turn around and uh, solder it or, uh, you know, sweat the copy. You know, they, couldn't, they couldn't do that. It had to be one continuous piece. They couldn't weld it on, if you will. 
So it says, with it, you shall overlay it with bronze. What's bronze speak about again? Judgment. Also you shall make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils out of bronze. Isn't that interesting? We saw in the other pattern, we had gold, we had silver mixed with gold. We had some of these, but when it came to the altar of sacrifice, everything was bronze to point to what? To judgment. And that that sacrifice, that that land, or that goat, that ox, you know, the bull like that, that that sacrifice was to do what? To cover, our, cover their sin, the Israelites' sin, on that one day. But Jesus doesn't cover our sin, does he? He removes it. You think about that. God made, when we read in Revelation chapter 4, remember the throne room of God and how he put half bow like that and it was emerald green and it reminded Do you remember when we were talking about that? And what it signified, it was just as the, the ark or the bow that he had given us when he told us to uh, look at the rainbow, that he would never flood the earth with a worldwide flood again. That was his promise and he signified his promise with a rainbow. To all people that we would know that he would never destroy the earth like that again. Well, he did the same thing with that emerald green bow. And it's a half bow, though. It's not a full bow like that. It's a, it's, it's, it's a half kind of bow that comes around like that. And it was Emerald Green, chapter 4, right in there, 4 and 5. And the significance of that was, was that he was reminded himself, he's God, but he's reminding himself that he would no longer, what, see the sin of man. That it wasn't like later on he could come back and go, you know what, I'm going to remember his sin. I didn't care for him too much. No, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a son or daughter of the living God, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have been made new. There is nothing there. He can't see it. It's, it's against his ability. As God, he can create his own ability not to see that. That, that in itself is miraculous, isn't it? That our God can do that? The God who's omniscient, omnipresent, you know, all-powerful, all-knowing could actually establish a covenant with himself and us to say that I would no longer see that sin, I would no longer remember it? And this bronze judgment, it says, as you make the pans and everything, they're all bronze. You shall make a grate for it. That's sort of the grid. If you've ever seen rebar, think of a grate of rebar like this that would be put. Uh, our grills, our modern grills, you have a little bit of a grill. They run like this. But picture a grate of rebar intersection. Maybe number five, number four rebar if you're in construction. Interlaced like that, laying on top of each other. And that's where the animal would lay on top of. That's, that's what it's showing us here. Are you with me? A networking of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings on its four corners. Just think of the hundreds of thousands of animals that were sacrificed because of the sin of mankind. All of it pointing to Jesus, the ultimate substitute, our ultimate substitute for our sin. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath you shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, where are we here? Five, the network that may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles from, for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. Again, everything bronze. The poles shall be put into the rings, and the poles shall be put on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow. That's again, so it could go down with boards, as it was shown to you on the mountain, so you shall make it. He saw these things. 
How else could he have seen them if it wasn't a picture of what was in heaven? He was seeing these things. You know? Now we move into the court of the tabernacle. You shall also make the court of the tabernacle for the south side there shall, ha- shall be hangings of the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long for one side. That's 150 feet. What you see there is 150 feet. And then the narrower, shorter side is 75 feet. A little smaller in a ba- uh, football field that way. And it's 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, along the length of the northern side, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long with its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze and their hooks of their pillars and their bands of silver. And what it's saying is on the one side, they do the same thing on the other side. That's what it's saying. It's 150 feet on one side. It's 150 feet on the other side. And along the width of the cord of the west side shall be hanging of 50 cubits with the 10 pillars in their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side, basically talking up here, it's, it's sub, or east side right here, because they would enter in through the east side right down there, and they would go west. It's 75 feet. It shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. You know, 22 foot, six inches roughly. And the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. Again, 22 foot, six inches. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen of 20 cubits long. What are we talking about? Right here. Right here. So when you look at the gate, if you come in here, that's what we're talking about right there. Woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. It should have four four pillars and four sockets. So how long is that? It's 30 feet. The entrance here is 30 feet. That's what it's showing us. So they would enter through a 30 feet um, gate that way. And the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their sockets of brown. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits. He's restating what he's basically giving us the sum total now. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50 throughout, and the height of five cubits made of fine woven linen and its sockets of bronze. He's telling us, look, the court is 150 by 75 feet by seven foot six inches. That's what he's telling us. Again, high enough that you're able to see the tabernacle High enough that you could see the the tabernacle, but not high enough that you could see in and all that was going on like that. All the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service, all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be made of bronze. Everything out in the court like that is pointing to judgment. I mean, you can even look at the tables. We're going to read about that in a little bit, but if you look out here, you'll see that there was what? Look at these tables out here. There were tables that were all slaughter tables that were designed for this. And you shall command the children of Israel that they shall bring you pure oil. So now we're going to be looking at the lampstand as we go inside. And what some of your Bibles may say is it may say crushed. The actual term in the Hebrew here is pressed. It's talking about a pressing. And what it is is it's talking about getting the finest of the olive oil. You know, we today we cook, we might use extra EVO, right? Extra virgin olive oil, right? That's, that's pure. This is talking about even purer than that. 
Why? Because the very best for God, you know, the, the very best would go into this lampstand. It would be very pure, you know, speaking to the idea that it's going to burn continuously so it would be pure that way, the finest of oil. So you shall, you shall command the children of Israel that they will bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. So one of the duties of the Levites or Aaronites here is that they would go in and they would tend this. They would go ahead and clip the, 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 the wick, I could say, like that, or the, and keep that oil flowing so that it would come up the wick, that it would keep it continuously burning day and night, never, ever stop burning. And it says it shall be a statute before... It shall be a statute forever to the generations on behalf of the children of Israel. And we're going to stop there for tonight. Go ahead and read in chapter 28. We're going to get into the priestly garments. Now, a lot of the things you're going to read in chapter 28, they're going to talk about different stones, onyx stones. They're not the same stones. They're not the sapphire, all of that. It's not the same stones that we use. I'll, I'll go through that and, and describe that in detail next next Wednesday when we're together like that, because it does describe different stones, but they're different stones than what we would understand the colors to be today. So again, we went through a pretty exhaustive study because God's word goes through an exhaustive study of this tabernacle. We went through about two chapters here. But hopefully this all, again, draws everybody, I hope it gets everybody excited to the fact that God has gone great lengths to help us understand his desire and love. And, and if nothing else, think about this, 100,000 times, right? At least we had 100,000 plus animal sacrifices. I mean, they were sacrificing continually like that. Think about it. What did this point to? How many different times would the Jews have walked or seen these animals, these, these ox, they'd go in and they'd be burned as a sacrifice because of the sin of people? How many times pointing to humanity, mankind, needing a what? A savior, over and over and over. Should I say it again? And over and over again. God's continuous reminder. And that's why I wonder when Jesus came, he says, how I desired to come unto you like this. That I would be like, you know, hens gathering the chicks that way, coming unto me. But because you've rejected me, I've become the stumbling block for you. And it was a constant reminder and, and in spite of this constant reminder, will, will Israel go into sin? Yes. Will they go into captivity, Israel and, oh, by the way, the tribe of Judah? Yes. The Syrian invasion and the Babylonian invasion, captivity, right? That. But then there was one, Jesus Christ, who didn't cover sin, but he removed our sin, past, present, and future, for all eternity, so that we could have right relationships. And he was pointing to it thousands of years ago about what his plan was for you and I. That when we would see Jesus, that when we would pray, that when we would understand the gospel or somebody would be so faithful and loving to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with us, that we would understand and know how God so desired to come in and sup with us, to eat with us, to relate with us. He went through great lengths to show it, to demonstrate it for us. I love this. I love our Lord that he's, he's an intimate God and he cares about details. He knows every hair on our head. He's, he's madly in love with us. 
I mean, the God of all the universe is madly in love with us. What can you say to that other than amen, hallelujah? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. 